Welcome to Commission Ed, the Air Force Officer Podcast. Here we explore the training and development of America's leaders in the application of air power and the profession of arms. The views expressed are those of the hosts and do not reflect the official policy or position of the United States Air Force, Department of Defense, or the U.S. government. Welcome back to another episode of Commission Ed, the Air Force Officer Podcast. I'm Colin Slade. And I'm Reed Gann, and we're your host for Commission Ed. I know I say this all the time with every single interview, but again, super excited to bring this one to you all. This time, talking about being a battlefield airman. Now, we don't actually have very many career fields in the Air Force, especially officers that will actually be downrange on the ground bringing operational effects to the enemy. But in this particular instance, the special tactics officer, they're on the ground leading the fight, making sure that air power is ready and available to those that need it most there on the ground. Yeah, you're not going to run into a whole lot of these folks throughout your career. They're a very small percentage, but their effects and their impact is outsized versus how big they are as a force. So really excited to hear what he's got to say. Yeah. So this week's interview is with John. John was gracious enough to meet me in person. Uh, he just happened to be in the area. It, I have to say, though, it kind of felt like you know, you know he agreed to meet me at a cafe and this guy, <laughs> kid you not, looks like Jason Bourne. It's awesome. And when I saw him there standing you know, with his black backpack and you know, ball cap and all those <laughs> kinds of things, I'm like, all right, this is real. <laughs> it's, it was awesome. Such a wonderful experience meeting with him and can't wait to share this interview with all of you. So let's cut straight over to John, Special Tactics Officer. Welcome back to another episode of Commission Ed, the Air Force Officer Podcast. I am Colin Slade, and today I am joined by John, who is a Special Tactics Officer. And we are here to interview him about his experience. John, why don't you go ahead and say uh, hello and introduce yourself a little yeah, bit. Yeah, hey, Colin. Thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, so Colin hit me up about this a couple of weeks ago, and I thought, you know, nothing to lose here by trying to answer his questions. Hopefully, anybody that's listening to this might be able to gain some good insight into the world of the Air Force um, and AFSOC and special tactics in general. I'm a special tactics officer by trade. I've been doing it for about uh, 10 and a half years now. So, yeah, that, that's the background I'm coming from. All my time in the Air Force has been with special tactics. And so I'm kind of biased towards that, uh, but I'll be happy to answer any questions and try to do my best to, to go that route. Yeah, awesome. We're super excited to have you. You're going to be definitely the, the first special tactics officer that we've had on the podcast. And I'm sure we'll get into this. You're going to be the first academy grad, <laughs> <laughs> for, for better or for worse. All right, yeah. Well, we're very different from everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the awesome things about having you here, and one... I should say that we're doing this on location. We're, we're here in the same room, the same space, uh, which we don't always get to do. So if our audience is hearing some background audio, that's why. That's right. It's a great coffee shop. It's very yep, hip. Absolutely. And uh, we wanted to take the opportunity to actually like 
you know, be in person with each other so that we can get the, the, the real feel of what it means to be an officer and to do uh, special tactics in the Air Force here in the same room. And another thing is, that I'd like to say here is everybody knows what special tactics is, but at the same time, nobody knows <laughs> what special tactics is. We all think that you're really cool and that you're like the superstars of, of the Air Force, but at the same time, you know, you're one of those secret squirrel things that nobody actually gets to take a deep dive look into. And so we're really excited to have you here today, share your story. Obviously, we're going to keep things unclass. We're going to keep things that are publicly available, but we want to get it all in one location from the, the horse's mouth, as it were, so that it can be a benefit to those who are considering being in the Air Force as a special tactics officer or already are in the Air Force and uh, maybe are looking at the possibility of cross-training. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you didn't mention like the secret squirrel thing. And sure, there are things that we as a community do that are on the classified level. But for the purposes of this podcast, I mean, I should be able to talk very openly about uh, special tactics and the jobs inside of this community and uh, some of the really great things that we're doing right now and how, how we're growing as a organization. So, you know, fire away. Yeah, absolutely. Well, before we get into your career as a special tactics officer, why don't we you know, take a, a few steps back? Tell us about where you're from, your your upbringing. What was it that led you toward a career in the Air Force? You had to go to college, obviously, to, uh, to be an officer in the Air Force. So why did you choose the academy? I'll turn it over to you and let you... Uh, you know, talk about what led you up to this point. Sure thing. Um, okay, so, and again, this is just my perspective. As, as it's obvious, but it goes without saying, and I'm sure there are lots of other perspectives of uh, officers in the Air Force, so I'll try to answer it from a personal uh, nature and not necessarily an Air Force nature, and uh, we can go from there. But, um, yeah, as I, uh, as I mentioned, my name is John and from California originally. I uh, grew up, born and raised there. My brother went to the Air Force Academy before I did, and, you know, for me, it was one of, one, you know, partly it was just like, well, people say it's a good college and it's a good opportunity, so why not? And uh, brief thing on the Air Force Academy, I think that uh, people hear the notion that you have to get a, you know, congressman or senator's endorsement. And uh, while that is true and it is a fairly long process, um, anyone with the, the grades and the ability to put together a good package, you know, score high in the SAT, things like that can get accepted there. So it's absolutely not out of reach for somebody you know, that grew up in a bad area or, you know, low income, things like that. It's, you know, I didn't know a congressman or senator personally. Uh, I just went to the board and got interviewed. Uh, so on that, I did apply to some other schools. And as we, we talked about earlier before the podcast, I mean, there's, there's pros and cons to, to going anywhere. I got accepted to some other schools as well uh, and, and some ROTC uh, scholarships. But in the end, I just, I just figured this kind of matched where I wanted to go professionally with my life. And the funny thing is I didn't know exactly what that was. Right. But, uh, I just heard from some mentors of mine and, of course, my brother, who's two years ahead of me, that it's a good place to go. So, yeah, I, um, I went there straight after finished high school in early, late spring and went to, went to the basic training in uh, summer 2005. And uh, for those of you guys who don't know it, basically you do your basic cadet training uh, the first summer before you start your freshman year. Yeah. So, and uh, everybody does that? Everybody does that. Yep. So as opposed to ROTC where you, just correct me if I'm wrong, right after your sophomore year. Yeah, that, that's when we do field training, which right. is a whole different animal, very different from what you call it, BCT, basic, yeah, cadet, basic training. cadet training. Yep. 
So, you know, that's, that's a couple months long, and at least it was, you know, 15, well, let's see here, 15, almost 15 years ago now. Right. But yeah, it's, I think it's challenging for a lot of people. It was definitely challenging for me in certain aspects. I think that, you know, some people are shocked by the military culture. Uh, I, I wasn't necessarily shocked by that part of it. I kind of grew up in a very strict and conservative home. Uh, so that part really didn't didn't shock me, but it was just it, this might sound funny, but it was almost like just getting out on your own with that freedom to to do whatever you want to do when you're allowed to do it, uh, which is funny talking about the academy. Yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, for me, I mean, that was that was for me one of the biggest things. And I, to be honest with you, I I almost failed out my first year at the academy because of grades. I flunked two classes. I just wasn't prepared to manage the course load and my time. I was so young. I was I was 17 at the time that I that I got there. So really, I, yeah, I was just a, I was just a child, <laughs> and uh, you know, just very immature and just you know, learning about life through a fire hose. Yeah. So basically, at training, first year, almost flunked out. But um, you know, I thank God I, I got the uh, the help I need to acclimate to that climate, and really ended up pulling myself together and and uh, making some really good friends, getting better study habits. Ended up doing pretty well academically and, you know, just learned about life there at the academy, which is a kind of a unique place to, to learn about life. But I think it's a, it was a good stepping stone for me. Frankly, if I, if I had been to a, a normal college, I might have, you know, who knows where I'd be right, right now. So Maybe not even an officer. Maybe not even an officer, yeah, exactly. I might be a snowboard instructor at Breckenridge. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which would be okay. Which would be a, not a bad gig, very different, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so all in all, I, I, I enjoy the academy. You get more freedom as you develop there into an upperclassman, your junior and senior year. Towards the end, it is very similar to a regular college besides like some of the military training days on Saturdays. And obviously, uh, everybody knows about the football games are mandatory unless you can figure out a way to get out of it. <laughs> <laughs> Which you accomplished how many times? Uh, you know, a couple, a few. <laughs> You know, it, it was good, and I, I, I have a close group of friends that we still get together with once a year, at least. Uh, I just saw them for our 10-year reunion, and uh, we got a house together there in the Springs. And, you know, so I know you can make a good group of friends at any school, but for me personally, it was that was one of the biggest positive bonuses about going there. You know, there are some challenges to going there, and because of that, it, it breeds that, that those deep relationships. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, so that's definitely one of the, the pros uh, of the academy is that you know, it's, it, it helps to forge that band of brothers and sisters too, you know, uh, plenty of uh, females uh, will end up going to the academy. What are some of the other pros that you think that our audience should be aware of with regards to going to the academy? Well, I think, I mean, big picture is adversity, I guess. If, you know, you go there and you struggle with grades or you struggle with just the military environment of it all, yeah, and and uh, or whatever that is, it really gets to you, I think. Anybody can adapt, and, and as we know, adversity builds character, and I think it did for me especially. Like from my freshman year to my senior year, I think I grew quite a bit as a person. And so that's one of the biggest things you can probably look forward to is just if, if you're looking to develop as a person, this is a good place to go. And um, no, I, I think uh, they have and they continue to harp on ethics there and setting people up for success you know i can't speak to the institution as a whole i'm sure there are things going on there that i disagree with 
but put it this way, I wouldn't discourage my kids from going there if that's something they chose to do. Yeah, and that's a really good litmus test for whether or not somebody should consider going there, that if you're willing to send your own kids there, believing that they're going to have a, a positive experience and, and grow as an individual, come out better on the other end, then yeah, maybe that's definitely something that they want to consider. But even so, there have to be some, uh, some drawbacks to going to the academy. It's not a perfect institution, as, you, as you've already alluded to. Um, what would be some of those things that, uh, <laughs> that you'd uh, point you know, out? For, you know, for one, if you're looking for that uh, very dynamic social life with the you know, crazy parties every Friday night and everything, you're right, not going to... The typical college experience. Yeah, you're not going <laughs> to... It's not going to be there. Um, if that's the experience that you're looking for, you won't find it there. Now, I think you will find aspects of that there. You know, for instance... Um, I went up to, you know, go skiing quite a bit with, with good friends. And, you know, we, get, we got a condo and, you know, we had a good time up there in the mountains. And, uh, you know, so there, there are aspects of just getting away from that environment that you're afforded there. And I think that's one of the things that keep, kept me sane and keeps a lot of cadets sane by just breaking away for a while and, uh, and going about that life. But, yeah, it's not going to be don't go there looking to join a frat. Okay. Now it is, now it is a frat in its own right. I would say. I've yeah, the whole my, I'm the doing whole my air institution quotes. is right, a frat. Doing my air quotes right now. It is kind of like a frat uh, with its own in, you know months long initiation. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And I've heard that they're you know the academy as a whole is doing their best to make that a positive experience for everyone. Well, one other thing is uh, just academically speaking. I mean. You know, you go to a you know go to San Diego State, and you're not forced to take classes like aeronautical engineering and astronautical engineering, a couple sets of chemistry and calculus, things like that. Like you you can do a few core classes, and then you can start focusing on your major. And at the academy, you're you're taking core classes the entire time up, up through your senior year. Some. Oh, what was your major while you were at the academy? Uh, it was it was behavioral science psychology. Okay, cool. Yeah. Where uh, even though you're doing a psychology degree, uh, that's still a bachelor of science uh, at the academy. Every de- degree at the at the academy is a bachelor of science because every single degree has to take these uh, upper level math sciences. Did you have to do calculus? Yep, sure did. That, calc fact, one and two. Yep, calc one was one of the cl- two classes I failed uh, <laughs> my freshman year. So my and then chemistry was the other one, and uh, I will never forget that my chemistry teacher. That first semester, I, I saw it on a piece of paper. I went to a board basically saying, "Should John, you know, graduate from here?" And, and he said, "You know, I don't think I don't think he has what it takes." Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I definitely used that as motivation and uh, ended up, you know, passing both my next semester and uh, stayed behind. Like so, my first summer there actually, there's, they break it up into three increments, and normally it's like you go visit an Air Force base, you take a block of leave, and then you do something else fun. Well, my block of fun was taken up by repeating chemistry. Oh, man, that sounds miserable. I mean, I did some summer classes while I was at school, but I chose to do that. And a lot of what you're describing here is that a lot of the choices that are available to normal college kids, quote-unquote normal college kids, are not available to the cadets at the academy. They're not. They're not. Now, I mean, again, go back and forth. Like, you know, other positives, there are other things that are available to, you know, especially if you differentiate, uh, you know, academy cadets to ROTC cadets. You know, it's very easy. Number one, it's much easier usually to get a pilot slot. So if you're looking to get a pilot slot, you know, that's the way to go. You can do programs like jump or your glider programs, things like that, a lot easier than you can as a RTC. Jump being where you get your, your uh, yeah, like your, your jump five, wings. Yeah, your five your five uh, jumps out of a perfectly yep, good airplane. That's right, like twelve seconds of controlled 
free fall and, and uh, you pull your chute. So, you know, it's a great experience for cadets, you know. Again, like maybe that's somebody's adversity, maybe, you know, fear of heights or something. I mean, it's little things and I think the, the institution as a whole, that's probably one of the things they do the best at is putting people in uncomfortable situations they, they weren't put in during high school or growing up as a kid and generally speaking, a fairly good product at the end of four years. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, growth happens uh, it, outside of our comfort zones. If we stay where we're comfortable, we stagnate and don't develop as a person and certainly not as an officer. Right, right. Now, I, w I should say, especially for like you ROTC cadets or ROTC grads out there that think I'm some kind of like ring knocker, I'm not. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Let me see your hands. Yeah, I see nothing on it. So, uh, you know, I have, I would say, almost an equal amount of ROTC grad friends or maybe even more uh, at this point in my life. I don't tout one over the other. Good. Well, so you, you mentioned you can get a pilot slot. Now, you actually got a pilot slot out of the academy. I did. Uh, <laughs> you know, that holds the true for majority of people. I, I knew a couple people at the academy that wanted a pilot. Like, literally, I knew a couple people that wanted a pilot slot and didn't get it. Really? Yeah, and that's it. Uh, so, and even one, one guy I'm thinking of in particular, he didn't get it, and then he got it like two years later. So, he's a U-20 pilot now. <laughs> so, yeah, you, you will get a pilot slot if you basically you know, put out and get decent grades and, and you put that as your first choice. And so you were able then to recover from your, you know, first I, I rough was, Yeah, see, that perfect example. Yeah, I failed two classes and I, eas like, basically easily got a pilot slot. So I wasn't the type of individual that, you know, all, like, built model airplanes as a child and just, like, flying is everything they ever wanted to do. I thought it sounded fairly exciting, so I was okay with the idea of putting it down, but... As a kid, of course, I remember wanting to be a Navy SEAL. <laughs> okay. Uh, and so I guess I kind of trended that direction, obviously, a little bit later. But I think that I didn't know about special tactics. I know we're going to talk about this in a little bit, but I didn't know about special tactics until I was a senior. The Academy has a battlefield airman prep program, or they call it a phase zero program, where these cadets that are interested in special tactics, they, uh, you know, wake up at 5 a.m. on Saturdays and carry logs around and <laughs> learn how to mission plan and do things like that. And I remember as a cadet seeing these, that, that group every once in a long while and just not, under, you know, not sure what they were doing. Yeah. So the, the program, the, that phase zero program actually existed while you were it did. a cadet there. It did. Yeah. Okay. And, it, and it still exists. I, I was able to talk to them a couple months ago when I visited Colorado. And uh, it's a good program. I mean, f they have a fairly good success rate, especially preparing their cadets physically for phase two. And I'm sure we'll get into that as well. But they, they have a fairly good success rate. And I know they're trying to improve the program even as we speak with how can they make a, a fairly well-rounded cadet leader before they get to selection. So I think, I think that's the goal. Yeah, well, so you got your pilot slot. You graduated. But at this point, you had, you had at least heard about special tactics. So take us from what happened at the end of, of your time at the academy, graduation, going to pilot training, not going to pilot training, ending up at special tactics selection. How did all, all that pan out? Yeah. When I was a senior, I went to like an informational brief, you know, one of those optional briefs at 7 p.m. after dinner. And uh, I sat there and said, you know, this matches my personality a little bit better. And so I, I kind of started doing my own research and I think it was like the second semester of my senior year. So like I had already had my pilot slot. I had probably, you know, everything was set up for me to go to Laughlin Air Force Base and uh, Del Rio down there on the border. And so I did. I graduated. We, um, we get our 60 days of leave 
uh, which I should mention is another perk yeah. of uh, going to the academy. You get 60 days off after you graduate. It only took you four years to earn it. Yeah, it took four years it. to get it, but I mean, it was an <laughs> awesome time. And then got to Laughlin and I uh, was doing more research. And what happened was I, I went and talked to my wing commander at the time. And I said, hey, sir, you know, I think flying's a great career, but I've been doing my research and I think I want to be a stow. And he said, no, you don't. You want to be a pilot. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, so he said, go, go to IFS first and Pueblo and see how you like it. So I saluted promptly and <laughs> I went to IFS and uh, did that program and I liked it. I actually enjoyed flying. I had a tough time on landings. I remember that, but I finally, I figured it out. So <laughs> I graduated. Yeah. Um, it was kind of like, you know, getting up on a wakeboard. Once you do it, you're like, oh, no, that was, that was easy. Why don't I just do it the whole time? So I came back to Laughlin and I went back and told my commander, hey, sir, you know, flying was fun, but I still, still think I want to be a stow. And um, he actually said, if you're not successful being a stow, and uh, there may or may not have been an MFR that was written, <laughs> uh, that you can't come back to UPT. So that was, a, that was a tough choice, but it provided sufficient motivation. Yeah, I mean, uh, we don't know exactly how you know, things would have worked out the other direction, but you know, he, he gave you the push that perhaps you needed to really you know, jump both feet into the, the Stoke career field and commit to it. I mean, I, I, was, I, was, all about, I was all about it. I was you know, going that way if, if there was any way to let me go. All right, so uh, you're, you're there in, in, in Laughlin, and it's at the, this point that you really uh, start prep- preparing toward uh, uh, your, your, your time at Phase 2. Uh, so how did you prepare for it? Well, as you can imagine, at uh, Del Rio, there's not a lot of people focused on special tactics they're all getting ready or are flying so um mostly by myself and i you know that's not the right way to do it um the best way to do it is to find a lot of individuals and uh, maybe even make a group or a club and that you can work out together and study together maybe read some books together things like that but i started training fairly hard i had a casual job which you know that basically means you're waiting to do your real job and in the meantime I was working at the hospital for about maybe six or seven hours a day filing papers and things like that so I had plenty of time to train Um, I just so happened to meet a crow or he's a crow now uh, and he was also trying to do the same thing there and we had we did a few pool workouts together and I did what I could I reached out to I think I spoke to one stow and one crow on the phone before selection I read a couple books. I found whatever I could find at the time on the internet, which wasn't much. Right. Uh, looked at you know whatever YouTube videos that were that were out there, and uh, yeah, just tried to kind of indoctrinate myself for a few months before phase two. Yeah. So this this other guy uh, that is now a crow, uh, same situation where he was a pilot candidate and then decided that he also wanted to yeah, exactly pursue the the crow career field. Yeah, I don't know exactly what brought him to that spot, but we we ended up going to at the time crow and stow selection were were different uh were separated and i think he went to crow and i went to stow that uh, week in the spring of 2010 and we both got picked up okay yeah yeah so uh, what you're describing is that if if you're going to uh, prepare for phase two selection and the career field of being a special tactics officer you don't want to do that by yourself if, if you can manage if you, it. Yeah, if you can help it, you absolutely want to do it together with, you know, at least equally motivated individuals. You know, find some people to bring you up and uh, maybe have some that are more talented in different ways than you are. 
I, we've seen people be much more successful in that when that happens when they form these little groups. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it's definitely true for the special tactics career field, but really the same thing could be said about anything that we do in the Air Force is that uh, while you know phase two is a an individually graded event. But if you try to pursue it and uh, be successful on your own, it's unlikely to happen. That really, you need to surround yourself with people that are going to push you and pull you and, and help you grow and, and become that, that, that really effective uh, officer. Yes, ideally. Um, we've seen successful candidates do that. Now, I will say that you know, at phase two, we're not training. We're just assessing for talent, essentially assessing to see if you're the right person for the job. And every once in a while, people come along and, you know, they haven't done a whole lot of training or prep for phase two, but they're just the right person. And they they have flying colors psychologically and uh, with their IQ tests and physically, and they're just a natural born leader. Now, everybody's not like that. I, I definitely was not like that. But some, sometimes this is just like the right person that we want to accept in AVSOC. Sure. But even so, with the natural born leader, you, they, you still... Uh, would encourage that person to work with other people. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Uh, give them the, the practical experience of helping others to reach their level. Yes, so. and, and bring them up as well. Yeah, awesome. So uh, words of the wise out there, a little bit of advice. Uh, you know, if this is something that, that you want to pursue, if you want to be a, a, a special tactics officer or any other special operations career field and officer within it, Find a group of guys or girls that are going to push you and, and help you grow. That's going to be one of the best ways that you can prepare for it. Yes. And you, I think you'd be surprised, like, especially if you are at an AppSoc base or something like that, how many people are at least considering it or who wouldn't mind working out with you as you get ready. Yeah. Well, is there any, anywhere else that, that people can go to uh, learn more about the uh, special tactics selection process. Sure. Uh, the website uh, off the top of my head, I believe, is Air Force Special Tactics.af.mil slash join. Okay. So if they go on there, there's, um, I think, a lot of good information. We recently put in some prep resources on one of the tabs, recommended books to read. I think there's a, there's a workout program, a nutritional guide, things like that, to uh, YouTube links. You know, for instance, uh, explanational videos on how to do water confidence drills and the like. And so if people get on there and I mean, that'd be a good starting base even for an ROTC detachment to make a, a little club. So there's some good resources there. It breaks down what's required um, and actually not just for cadets, but for CGOs or for even cross trainees. Um, enlisted cross trainees can come to phase two. And then if they get picked up during phase two, then we send them to OTS and then they start the pipeline from there. So lots of good resources about the process. Also, the phase one package is on there as well, um, and that'll break down what is required for you to submit prior to being accepted to phase two. Awesome. Yeah, and we'll link all of that information on the show notes. Uh, make sure that you know, all the links are correct, the, it's the right information, so that you all have it, uh, access to it. Now, if somebody has looked through all of that information and they you know, still are wanting more, you know, like you mentioned how you talk to a, a special tactics officer uh, and, and you, know, you talk to a Stowe and a Crow before you went to a selection. Is there a way that interested people can get in touch with a Stowe or a Crow to, to pick their brain about it? Yes. Along with that website, I'll give you some links. There's, a, uh, there's basically a Stowe.recruiter email org box. 
that once you go through that website, you know, we get a lot of the same questions, so we try to answer a lot of people's questions on the website. But if you have additional ones, once you go through those resources, you can hit us up on the email org box uh, and, you know, ask your specific question. It's kind of funny. We, we're not trying to prepare anybody unequally. So we don't want anybody to have a specific advantage because, again, we're hiring individuals with the potential to be leaders in special tactics, and we don't want to give away the, the, the keys to the test. So, you know, for instance, with the Phase Zero program at the Air Force Academy, you know, they've, they've asked a lot of questions about, you know, how to improve their program and things like that, and we try to give them good feedback, but we also don't, <laughs> we also don't tell them, you know, which events to prepare for and sure. things like that. Yeah, that makes total sense. You want to you know, keep it an, an even playing field. I mean, you don't want just Stowe's out of the academy, right? Yes, that's right. No, <laughs> we absolutely do not. <laughs> Though Stowe's out of the academy Those are not guys. necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, not necessarily. But, <laughs> but you know, just like any other career field, you, know, you, uh, you value the diverse background and, and capabilities that, that uh, people can bring as long as they meet your baseline requirements. Sure. Yeah. As long as they meet the baseline requirements and, you know, the hiring board be- believes you're the right individual. I think some misconceptions that I've run into in the past are, you know, oh, everybody that uh, is successful at being a Stower Crow, you know, was the captain of the football team and they're definitely an outgoing type A personality. And that's just not true. Uh, there, there are some different personalities in the career field, not just in the officer rank and the enlisted ranks for sure. And uh, some people will just like blow you away. Like some of the quietest people are, will just blow you away by their ability to lead when the time comes and to perform. Yeah. And that's really what you guys are looking for. Well, good. Yeah. So with that in mind, you know, let's, uh, let's dive a little bit more into the special tactics career field. If you, if you wouldn't mind, take a minute to help our audience understand why does the special tactics officer career field exist in the first place? Yeah. Well, basically, as, as you know, and as everybody here listening knows, every branch has their special operations forces, uh, we call them that. And the air force has our branch, uh, special tactics, because not only are we good at all the dynamic things that you historically think of when you think about special operations, all your dynamic uh, direct action, but we're also very good at linking the air component to the ground problems that we solve. And so, for instance, one of the historical mission sets of a combat controller is to be the JTAC or the Joint Terminal Attack Controller calling in the close air support for a special operations team. And so they can line up in the stack and clear the, clear the rooms just as well as anybody else, but then they get to the top of the roof and they got their two radios and they're talking to the stack of aircraft above them, calling in the close air support and using the sensors and things like that that we get a lot of additional training in. And so that's why I think we have a fairly good reputation in the soft community to bring that, that air component to the fight on the ground. And we do that not just in the tactical dynamic spectrum, but also with assault zones, air surveys, um, airfield sur- surveys, and things like that, where you know anything air-related that a special operations force needs to conduct a mission, we can bring. Yeah. And so the special tactics officer specifically leads the enlisted force to do those mission sets. And so... For instance, as a, as a stow, you get to your first special tactics team, and on your team, you have enlisted combat controllers, enlisted TACPs, PJs, and now the newest career field is special reconnaissance, which took the place of SAUTI, Special Operations Weather Team. 
so they they took out some of that weather they didn't really take out the weather capability because we still have it but changed a lot of the training to more of a reconnaissance focus so all those enlisted afses would be on special tactics team and you as a sto have been trained to do many of those mission sets as your enlisted force but you lead those those individuals to accomplish the mission yeah so the, like the special tactics officer actually will go through the same uh, training pipeline as the CCT. That's the, right. The combat controller. That's right. And that, just to you know, pitch to any and you know, and higher leaders or senior leadership that's listening to this, if there are, <laughs> um, you know, I think that's one of the things that give us that great amount of credibility with our enlisted force because we go through the suck with everybody else, you know. And so, oh, come on, does the the pipeline really suck? <laughs> <laughs> no, I have some good memories from it for sure. But you I know, mean, how how much can you complain about jumping out of an airplane? That's and, right. Yeah, in San Diego, and making and stuff blow going up, right? Going to the beach at four, eight, 4 p.m. Uh, <laughs> it's it's just like that, um, you know. But that's what gives us that credibility. And even though we, as an officer, may not employ all those capabilities operationally, personally, we have that capability to do so. And uh, you know, as I mentioned, you're you're going through the suck with the rest of the guys through the pipeline, and um, so they know you at least can hack that. Yeah, and that's, that's a really important point that you're bringing up here and is applicable to really any officer career field in the Air Force is that it will build your credibility if you are able to demonstrate to your people that you're able to do the same things that they are and that you're willing to do it. Right, right. And, and you know, I would say most officers want, most Stowe's and Crows want to do it more, but, right. they, but they realize that their, their first job is to lead and then guess what, you, you may be able to do some, some really exciting things when your name's called. Yeah, and again, that's another excellent point that while it's important that you be able to do these same things, but that's not your primary responsibility. Your job is to lead the airmen, not to be one of them. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you, you, yes, your job is to lead, and ideally you, you fit in very well on team. So in that sense, you are kind of one of them. But you know, I think it... And, you know, something I'm still learning, and I think many leaders are, especially in the tactical environment, is how do you walk that fine line of being one of the guys, but also leading and, and le trying to lead well when the time comes. So in this, in this environment, it's very difficult because you are going through the same training. You know, you're in one sense, you're one of the bros just like anybody else, but then you also need to lead the team and and do it in a professional way. So that's something that I, I've been learning throughout my time so far. Yeah, I mean, the Air Force requires you as the officer to be the one ultimately responsible for the proper execution of the mission. Where the, the combat controller, the, 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 the special operations airmen that you are leading, they actually execute and take care of the mission. But it's your job to be responsible for it. And in order to really be able to do that, you have to maintain that professional distance between the officer and the enlisted airmen uh, so that you can direct them properly and remain somewhat detached from the things that they are going through. Yeah, I would say big picture, everything you just said is correct. I, I think the, the leaders that I have seen, let's just say that I have respected the most, walk that line very well. They are able to have a beer with the guys and, you know, blend in in that environment but they still have that proper amount of respect that their team gives them and they you know number one the, the people that I respect are, are those quiet leaders that don't brag about what they've done or accomplished in the past and number two they just have that uh, that bearing or that confidence about them but it's a it's a humble bearing as well 
So, again, they can be part of the team, but they, they can lead it very well when the time comes. Absolutely. Good. So, quick summary of the, the Special Tactics uh, Officer Career Field. It exists in order to lead the airmen on the ground, whether it's in a, in a joint environment or um, uh, in a strictly Air Force operation. Yes. Making sure that the that air power is available and, and correctly delivered to the guys on the ground. Yeah, that's a great synopsis. Uh, you said it very well. And as I mentioned earlier, you may get a chance to do some of those more exciting dynamic tactical things. Um, like, for instance, one of my deployments, I was able to be the JTAC for an, an ODA or a Special Forces team. And so at that point, you know, I wasn't doing so much of the leading. I was, I was doing the actual tactical mission set. I was a captain at the time. But it was great because the rank was kind of put aside for the time being, and I was just one of the, uh, one of the operators on the ground. So that was, for me, a very fulfilling experience. And, you know, there's, there's ex not one STO has the exact same experience in the career field. Some may focus more on the direct action or the uh, dynamic precision strike portion. Some may focus more on the assault zones and surveys and things like that. And one of the exciting things I th that is coming into special tactics right now is the fact that we are now not only as team leaders or troop commanders responsible for what our team is doing, but we're also starting to own some battle space and actually own mission sets as well in, in special tactics in the Air Force. So I haven't had a chance to do that yet in my career, but those younger, younger guys that are coming up in the ranks, there's a good chance they'll be doing those type of missions. Yeah, so what you're describing is not necessarily uh, j just being on hand to uh, deliver Air Force air power on behalf of Army Rangers or Navy, Navy SEALs, yes. but you know, just unilateral, purely Air Force operation, doing our own thing, detached from uh, the joint environment. Yes and no. Um, not detached. I would, I would say unilateral is a word that's kind of thrown out there quite a bit, but not being just an augmenter to other special operation teams, but leading as a STO, for instance, leading that team and not only your uh, special tactics airman, but also possibly being the ground force commander for other components like a group of rangers or um, SEALs or, or something like that or other government organizations. Okay, yeah, that's a good distinction to make that it, this is, isn't necessarily the Air Force operating out there on its own, but taking the lead uh, you know, we are the, the air force taking the lead on a ground operation. Yes, and I'm sure there's some politics that go along with that push to happen in special tactics. But from, from what I've heard, that is, uh, that's the trend that okay. we're going towards. Cool. No, that sounds really awesome. And in your, what you're describing, you're saying that the stoves that are coming up uh, now, that's going to be their future. Yes, that's correct. At now, least that's the hope. That's the hope. That's the hope. And... Um, you know, there was, there's been talk for a little while of combining the Stowe and Crow career fields. Um, who knows if it will ever actually happen. But if it does happen, that Stowe, Crow, Squo, whatever it is they're going to be called, um, will... Now, rescue and recovery is one of the things that Special Tactics is still responsible for. But um, the Crows and the PJs, the majority of them are still with ACC. And about 10% of them come over into special tactics. The same can be said for your ALOs and TACPs. So about 90% of them are supporting your conventional army forces, and the other 10% come over into special tactics, and uh, you know, they have to go through their own assessment as well. But uh, that's why special tactics still has those mission sets of precision strike, 
recovery, humanitarian efforts, global access, all those things that we're responsible for. But there's been rumors for a long time, well before I got into the career field, that uh, the whole rescue organization will come over into AFSOC. We'll see if that ever happens. Okay. Yeah, that's something I didn't know very well, that the uh, the Stowe's and the CCT that's right. belong to AFSOC, where the, 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 the Crow and the PJ belong to ACC. That's, that's correct. Okay. The majority of them do. There's about 10% um, that, that do transition over into special tactics. So. So that's really cool that what you're describing about uh, the the Air Force being able to take the lead on some of these ground um, operations while still being able to you know, deliver air power when, when and where it's needed. So my next question is getting at, so then who is your customer? You know, who, who does, who does the, the special tactics officer exist for? Well, I would say on, on the micro level, uh, Stowe exists to, to serve the airmen on his team and to make sure they have the resources and the capabilities and the training and the finances and everything needed to execute their mission sets. On the, on the larger level, I would say AVSOC and Special Tactics serves to just support the ground force scheme of maneuver. And you can't do that, obviously, without air power. So that's, that's what we do on the macro level. Um, and then this, then the stow is kind of like right in between there, you know, f- you know, focusing, focusing down on the team, and then focusing up and beyond to the the larger strategic mission set. Yeah, I like the way that you're describing it, is that you have a, a responsibility towards your airmen; they're a customer for you. But then, if you go up the other direction, ultimately, then so y- your customer is the command and commander who needs you to deliver that air power f- for whatever strategic objective or effect that he or she is looking to to achieve and then obviously ultimately the the commander-in-chief the president of the united states and the american people sure yep i think you nailed it you know but at our at 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 the level that i've been at the last 10 years i've been more you know i'm not making the the broader strategic decisions you know so if anything i'm focused just one up and one down or two up and two down in the chain like one down and then two up (laughs) it just like probably most officers should be or should, you know that's their focus right know your commander's commander's intent and then and then execute that within your team so um yeah i think i think that's the whole purpose of a stow until they hit those higher ranks and at that point you're working more avsoc and strategic air force big picture things okay so uh, you are a major at the moment uh, your uh, your responsibility at the moment as a stow then is what? Well, that's that's funny um, <laughs> because it doesn't have much to do with the uh, operational stuff that's happening right now. So the last couple of years, I was responsible for a section in the Special Tactics Training Squadron called RAS, which is Recruit, Assess, and Select. So one of my jobs was I'm not a recruiter, but I would go around and I would talk to people about special tactics. And then like the you're other, doing now, like I'm just, this is it. Okay, cool. <laughs> and uh, the other job is to run uh, and facilitate all the assessments for special tactics. So obviously the big ones: Stowe, Crow, Enlisted, Cross Trainee, even some of the the other ones like SOST, Special Operations Surgical Team, TACP. So special, so TACP and ALO personnel that are assessing in special tactics. So all those assessments we would we would run, and we did about 16 assessments every year, every calendar year, and um, that was my job for the last couple of years. Um, and currently, I'm in more in the operations role in the Special Tactics Squadron that I'm at, which is still the training squadron. So, running all those operations, uh, essentially almost 
facilitating everything that, that needs to happen to make your combat controllers and your, your uh, well, that's who we focus on primarily, but your ST TACPs, your STPJs, and get them ready to get to their first duty station and their first team. Okay. So you did uh, spend some time, you mentioned your deployment, you spent some time operational, uh, special tactics officer. Yes. Uh, you were part of an STS, a special tactics squadron. Yes. Okay. And and then you moved from there to your current position uh, in, within the training pipeline. Uh, no, not exactly. So I was with a, a ST team for about three years in, uh, in North Carolina. And from there, I moved to a school called SOTAC, Special Operations Terminal Attack Controller Course. And I was the detachment commander there for a while. At the time, it was in Yuma, Arizona. And that was a, that was a great assignment because it was almost like being out on your own FOB, in your own Ford operating base, and just uh, myself and nine other instructors out there. And we, we ran the classes, and we did the classroom and the range instruction and with, with uh, real military and contracted aircraft. And uh, we, you know, we taught a lot of Air Force, Army, Marines, and some Navy um, how to become a JTAC. So... Did that for two years. And then we moved that schoolhouse from Yuma back to Herbert Field, Florida, which is when I picked up the RAS job. Okay. And then is that a, a pretty typical uh, Stowe career path is to, to do the operational thing once you've uh, completed the pipeline and then you go do some kind of command tour? I imagine there's the opportunity for some staff work at AFSOC or, or ACC, something like that. Yes. I mean, um, there, there's really no one sp- specific track for a stow. I think they're trying to improve that at the 24th Special Operations Wing of making it more predictable. But I, you know, I know a lot of stows and they all have different experiences. So the general path like you described is correct. You finish the pipeline and then you go to your first team and you, you might get one or two PCSs on team. And then from there you go to perhaps uh, another squadron to do some leadership time. Maybe you go to a, a DO role at some point, you'll probably go to school, and then you'll come back, and you know, then you're looking at squadron command time and, and other options like that. There's also a Tier 1 organization that's part of Special Tactics that you can assess for. So once you get onto your, your two-series squadron team time, maybe you do that for a little while, and then you can assess to that other organization. Okay. Um, tier 1, Tier 2 kind of being like the difference between yeah, Army Rangers and Delta Force? Kind exactly. Of? Okay. Exactly. Okay. Cool. So you can continue to become even more special. <laughs> yeah. So, that, I mean, that's a, um, I, I, haven't, uh, I haven't served with that organization, but I've heard it's a, a good thing to be a part of. So if anybody's interested in that, just know that there are other options to continue your operational time as an officer. That's very cool. So what has been uh, some, some of the highlights, some of your favorite parts of your time as a special tactics officer? Well, uh, a couple things. Um, it's it's kind of like you uh, like the pipeline. For instance, you look back, and at the time it was fair, fairly challenging going through, but you always look back and sure. you remember the fond memories, <laughs> mostly. And uh, that was, to be honest, a, good, a lot of a lot of good times, uh, going TY and and just picking up all these qualifications and all these great training opportunities. And it, and then it, that extended into my team time uh, in North Carolina. Uh, I was there for about three years and started as an assistant team leader or troop commanders we're called now and then did the troop commander thing for a couple years and had a couple of rotations to Afghanistan that was very rewarding and then it's equally rewarding back at home station because you're putting together 
all the training events to get your team ready for their next rotation. And so some is home station training, some is going TDY and get the opportunity to go to some really exciting schools. And just leading at that troop level is very rewarding. It's like being a part of a sports team, I think is a good analogy. And that's been my most exciting time so far in special tactics. Any like you know good war stories you want to you know share about your time? I mean, obviously some of those things are going to be classified and can't go into all the the yeah. details. But yeah, I would just say well one one thing that I, I really enjoyed doing was was augmenting a team of Green Berets as their JTAC, and it was just a time to go out and focus on the tactical side of being a uh, being a Stowe, and uh, did that for a, a good amount of time out there and. It, it was just really exciting, and, and that's all you're focusing on. It's just kind of like when you're jumping out of an airplane, that's all you're thinking about, right? <laughs> you're not thinking about the bills you have to pay or whatever. So, I mean, for me, the same thing could be said and during that deployment. That was great, and the, the team, I felt very welcomed by that Army team, and uh, they, they treated me as one of them, and, and that was a great time. I got a chance to be involved in some dynamic situations, and, and it was kind of everything I was hoping for. I, I just have to chuckle every time you you call it a dynamic situation because <laughs> <laughs> dynamic for one person may be something that's really tame sure. and you know just like listening. i guess it's, it's a big catch-all <laughs> right yeah. where you know dynamic for me as a, a civil engineering officer is you know a pipe broke and <laughs> yeah, we got to go make sure that you know, well that would be dynamic to me as well because i don't know how to fix a broken pipe <laughs> Yeah, well, and I don't know how to kick in the door and clear a room. <laughs> yeah, that, so that that was a great time. And then, I again, I, I mean, not to, like, keep saying, like, oh, I'm, you know, I loved every minute of my time, but I, I really did enjoy my time as uh, part of SOTAC, you know. Um, I was, I was, I got qualified to be a JTAC instructor and did some of the training along with the other guys that were there. We went out on the range and dropped real bombs and, and that was very satisfying work because, you know, every single class for five, after five weeks, you see students who are already special operators, many or most with more deployments than I have already. And they're coming there and they start from square one. And by the end of five weeks, um, they're 80% complete with their JTAC certification. And just the, you see that cycle after cycle. And it, to me, um, teaching was, was almost as rewarding as actual operating. Yeah, I can definitely empathize with that. You know, the time that I've spent in Air Force ROTC have, as an instructor, teaching people and helping them grow as you know, as future officers in the Air Force have definitely been the most rewarding so far in my my time as an Air Force officer. On the flip side, you know, what are some of the the terrible things about having shifted over into the the Stoke career field? Oh man, that's a great question. Um, well, number one, I think you have to, you know, for anybody who's considering this career field, I, I should hit on the fact that, and I've kind of already subtly hinted at it, but you're, you're not going to be a door kicker for 19 out of 20 years if you, know, if you stay until retirement. You're, you're just not going to do that. If that's what you want to do, and, I, and it's funny, I kind of made a joke to some ROTC cadets the other day, if that's what you want to do, re- resign your commission and go be enlisted combat controller, and you will get to do that stuff way more which for a lot of people may be much more satisfying. And I'm not going to deny that that is a very exciting part of our job. So, But 
you still get a laptop issued to you, and I'm TDY right now, and I checked my email this morning. <laughs> so, <laughs> Wait, you were actually able to get your VPN I, yeah, to work, I and you could miracle. sign into your email? I could. It took about 45 minutes for it to actually work, but I, I somehow <laughs> clicked the right combination of buttons to make it happen. Um, you said the right combination right, so of Hail Marys right, and yeah. <laughs> so burning incense. So if my listening, I, I really am trying. <laughs> yeah, so you know, you're still going to be asked to do all those officerly duties than any other officer like you know you get fairly good at writing awards and EPRs and you know you're doing all those things and you get fairly good at working Excel and yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying this kind of all in jest and, and stuff but it's, it is true because you know so, somebody needs to do it and that's the officer uh, and so as much as, as I have sometimes you know personally graded against having to do those things I realize I have to realize it's my job to do those things so, you know, I might be able to go shooting in the AM and then go hit a couple hours of computer work in the afternoon. And that's just, that is the life. And you have to be willing to accept that if this is something you truly want to do. Yeah. And just like you've done, you know, throughout your career, you've embraced the suck. You've leaned into it. You've accepted the fact that even though that this task be it writing in a 1206 or you know, balancing a budget for your, your organization or re- reviewing an, an EPR, whatever the, the case may be, you've leaned into it and accepted that as part of your responsibility because you are an officer and ultimately your job is to you make sure that the mission is taken care of and that you are also leading your airmen. Yes, that's right. Um, and, and I think if you don't accept it, I mean, if you don't lean into it and just you know, I think I think there was a while in my in my career, like maybe like five or six years through, I was more, a little bit more bitter about that fact. But if you just have to acknowledge it and say, you know, well, some somebody has to do it, so it's my it might as well be me. And I, I think I can get to the point where I'm fairly good at it. And I think if you look at it like trying to be a well-rounded individual is a, is probably a good way to think of it. And if you just if you just uh, look at everything with chagrin you're just going to be walking around with a frown on your face all day and and not enjoy anything about life yeah so there's a few more things that i I want to dive into that's uh, not necessarily specific to special tactics but i'm sure that you can tie it back in what is it that you've done to continue developing as an officer not necessarily as a special tactics operator but as a but as an officer yeah i i think that one thing is to develop at least and some informal mentors. You know, some people tout that you should have a, an absolute formal mentor in order to progress in life. And uh, while you may not have a formal one, I think to, to get some people that you can call up and, and bounce questions off of and that are not afraid to critically look at you and say, hey, you're, you're messing up here, or you're messing up there. And so to me, that, that's been very important, both on the professional side and the personal side. Thankfully, I've, I have a couple of people like, that are like that. And... I think that's kept me balanced through this this career and, and life in general to correct me when uh, you know I'm kind of going off course or when you know maybe when I've gone through a, a tough time in life where you know you need to you need to just bounce some ideas off some some individuals. So for me, that that mentorship has been very important. So uh, in addition to uh, mentorship or just having those people you can call and bounce ideas off of, I you know naturally as an officer in the air force you do take part in the pd courses that every officer does so pd being professional development yep Yep. so uh 
early on in my career, I did the ASBC before they took that away. Yeah. <laughs> Fun so, fact, yep. I was in the very last class oh, all right. well, of ASBC. You, you obviously are much more developed than others <laughs> that came after you. <laughs> um, so I did that, did uh, SOS. And, and some, some people, you know, despise those courses. I, I don't. I think they're good. I think especially for officers in, in special tactics, that it is a good thing to get reacclimated into the Air Force and just a quick reminder of, you know, what everybody else is doing in life. And, and maybe you'll find some blind spots in yourself that you didn't realize you had until you kind of acclimate with people that are not like you. So for me, I, I found those times to be helpful. Even sometimes they're, you know, uh, five weeks of taking a deep breath and refocusing. So those things have been helpful. I am not one of the individuals that has gotten my master's yet. I'm about to start that. Uh, that is something that I would say start earlier than later, like everybody says, but it is true. And, but, you know, pick something that I'm personally interested in. Some people are, are, are very interested in, you know, your, your standard, you know, check the box masters. But if I do one, and that's what I was trying to figure out whether I wanted to get a check the box masters or a, something I'm actually interested in, I think I'm going to go for the latter. I waited longer than I should have to do that, uh, just with some life circumstances that happened. But, and also, I think I want to hit on the fact that it's important to have a life outside of this job. I've seen a few people uh, that I can think of that seem like special tactics is, is their life. And t to me, that's not the right thing. That's not the right way to do things. I think you become a one-track mind when you do that. And it's very hard to see the big picture on life in general. And it, I think officers, especially that have lives outside of the Air Force, can actually perform better when they do their job. So for me, just having you know some hobbies and things like that has been able to keep everything in perspective. You know, and, and of course, being married and, and having uh, uh, two kids now, that puts things and life in perspective as well. I would just say that I, I think as a person, I struggle with being selfish. Maybe a lot of people struggle with that. And, you know, you look at uh, the career field and you say, this is what I want to get out of job. And this is what I want to get out of, the, you know, this year in life. And having kids put some of those things in perspective, some of my priorities in perspective. So that's been, that's been uh, very good for me. Well, so here on this podcast, we are a big proponent of professional reading. So what are some things that, you, that you've read in the past, maybe something that you've read recently that has left an impression on you? Well, I think I would be a bad special tactics officer if I didn't mention Gates of Fire, because that's like mandatory reading for every combat controller. <laughs> it's good. It's, a, it's a historical fiction off of the Spartans at Thermopylae, but that's, that's always a good one. That's on my desk right now. I just uh, been reading The Mission and the Men and Me. That was a great book. And actually, I, I helped put together the reading list that's on the website I mentioned earlier. So I think there's a reading list on there. Um, most of those books I've read, not all of them. I got some other uh, suggestions from some other mentors as well. But, you know, I, that's something I'm, I'm trying to read every day. And that's a, that's a bit of a challenge recently. But the people that, that I respect and look up to, one of the... You know, similarities, one of the commonalities is that they, they're constantly reading. So that's something I've been personally trying to get better at. Yeah, aren't we all? Certainly, there's no such thing as perfection when it comes to reading, but we can always you know, try to be that 1% better each yeah, day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. 
knowing what you know now, what would you tell your early self or someone who is interested in, in following in your footsteps? Wow, that's a great, I'm just going to like self-identify all my flaws right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, well, um, to be fair, I, I would say I've only done about half of what I could do, maybe, maybe half as a, as a stew, because there's a, there's a lot of individuals out there that have done some really incredible things, both at the level I'm at and, and at the higher organization and, and just, you know, I, I'm in the ranks of some, some pretty incredible people. I, there's, there's a few people that I'm thinking of specifically right now and they're just, you know, head and shoulders uh, above their peers and their leadership capabilities and just some of the things they can do and just their ability to soak in information and spit it out so eloquently. What I would tell myself is to focus even more on improving every day. So whether that's on, on the professional level or the personal level, their personal life, I think that that is, that is so huge to having a successful life and a successful career. So making not just uh, fuzzy choices to, to get better at things in life, but to make deliberate choices to, you know, if, you know, from, you know, if I was saying, Hey John, you know, what are you going to do? And how are you going to be successful over the next 10 years? Like post graduating college, I would make specific goals in order to get better. Uh, that's what I'm trying to do now yeah. personally. And so, um, you know, not, not, not waste a minute of it uh, because it flies by so quick. I mean, yeah. team time and, and all that, just to enjoy, enjoy every moment, you know. Uh, I try not to take things too seriously. If anything, I have a problem with taking things not seriously enough. There you go. I self-identify one of my flaws, but, uh, which I'm trying to work on now. But I would want myself to make a bigger impact with the position or whatever circumstance I found myself in. Not, not to say I like skated through anything per se, but I think that I can always improve in, you know, using what God's given me to help other people, help my family, things like that. Yeah. The, I like the self-improvement piece for sure. It's like uh, investments, you know, it, if you do it early on, it will you know, pay interest and dividends you know, over the course of time. You build upon that foundation, and the earlier you get started, the, the further you'll be later on. doesn't mean that you can't start later. That's right. And there, there's never a point in your uh, career, in your development, where you're too far gone, yes, right? Yes, I, I definitely agree with that. You know, I, I, there's some flaws I've, I've self-identified with even, even recently over the last couple of years that I'm making specific efforts to correct. And, you know, I think that is the key to having a successful second half of life is to, is to do that and not become complacent or satisfied with where you're at. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing your, your time and your, your wisdom with us. Uh, there's two more questions I want to ask you. Sure. Uh, the first one is, you know, if, if somebody is interested in learning more about this, we've already uh, talked about the website that they can go to. And I don't think we've mentioned this, but John is not your real name. And we're going to leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you wanted to protect your identity, which we're absolutely going to you know, support and pursue. But if somebody wanted to pick your brain about your time as a stow, uh, is there a way that they might be able to get in touch with you? There is. Uh, the, be the best way to do it is reach out to that org box I mentioned earlier. I, I think it's stow.recruiter at af.mil.af.mil. 
we'll link it, as you mentioned, to the podcast. But again, we, we like to uh, give everybody a fair shot and an equal shot at selection. But if there are specific questions they have, or we're just like looking to reach out a little bit more specifically about here from a stow or, or even like my NCOIC right now and listed combat controllers and their perspective, they can reach to that order box and shoot a quick email and, and we'll, we'll uh, get back to them. Awesome. Well, good. So then my last question for you is, John, what does it mean to be an officer? I ultimately think it's putting others above yourself. And we talked about self-improvement and, you know, what I'm, what I would tell my younger self. And that is something that it, I think it, can take people an entire lifetime to learn and so yeah an, an officer i think it just a general a a quality individual will end up putting others before themselves and if you can learn that i think you can have a huge impact on yourself and have a much more fulfilling life and a fulfilling career than you would if you were just looking out for number one and so that's something i'm, I'm working on right now and it's uh, a constant process especially in the ST community, we look for that specifically in the candidate because it's a growing and a developing career field and there's a lot of responsibility at times that are that are put on the shoulders of, of the officers. And so in order to meld a young, a relatively young career field, that's what an officer needs to do. Awesome. Great, John. Thank yeah. you for your time. Really yeah, appreciate so it. I right, appreciate it. Thank you. You know what, Colin? Yes, I do know what, but go ahead. One of the, sorry, it's, this has been bugging me for a long time. We need to do an episode on the Academy. So I, before I went TDY out to the UK, I had to go to Colorado for some training and ended up with a little bit of free time. And I had a former troop of mine that's out there working. And we got in touch and I wanted to go visit them. They gave me a tour of the campus. Now I'd been there before. But I got the, you know, accompanied by a staff member backstage, really in the place tour. And I got to tell you, I left feeling much more connected to that place than I expected to. And I am not a, a graduate of that university, but I feel like it's my university still. And I think that's because it's so Air Force in every way that it's good. And I'm working on it, but I'm, I'm committing to the audience to try and bring that connection back, I think that'll really round out uh, what we're providing folks. Yeah, and let's say thank you to John again for taking the time to do this interview and allowing me to, to grill him on his experience at the Academy. You know, you and I have not had the experience of being there as cadets. We're not intimately familiar with you know, how the Academy operates. And so whenever we can, I like to talk to folks who have been to the academy and help paint that picture of what it's like uh, to be a cadet there at the academy so thanks to john for doing that yeah i really appreciate it what are your thoughts what are some of the things that stuck out to you other than you know my little academy rant there the first thought that comes to mind is just how incredibly important the special tactics officer career field is in the overall application of air power and operating in that joint environment because the special tactics career field in general officer and enlisted with uh, the combat control as well as jtacs and tacp and all of those they don't exist directly for the benefit of the air force i mean usually they are 
embedded with army units or seals or marines in order to ensure that air power is delivered on time on target in support of whatever that ground mission is i think that john did a really good job of highlighting that capability within the air force yeah i I really liked his breakdown i liked his perspective and i think that's something we need to always remember is that is one of our core missions i mean because one thing that we we need to keep in mind is that when you're conducting a war that there isn't any one component land air or sea that is going to fully achieve the objective that is going to fully end the battle or win the war we we have to work together with our joint partners as often and as effectively as we can and the special tactics officer and the special tactics career field in general is really good at making sure that we provide effective air power to the other services yeah no that's a good good perspective you know, one thing I really like that he talked about is this challenge in trying to balance what appear to be and can often be and can often feel like our competing interests of being a leader versus being a technician and, and how that's acutely felt in his career field just due to the high degree of training required to become competent and how necessary competence is for credibility and acceptance as a leader. Um, And I I think that it's probably particularly challenging in his career field, just given, you know, what, what he talked about, I think in our career fields, Colin, you know, you as CE primarily, and then myself as an intelligence officer, yes, our competence and our ability to do the do is important and it is essential, but I don't know that it is as critical as it is in their career field. And I thought that was interesting because that's something, I mean, we could do an episode just on that alone. Yeah, absolutely. And then balancing that over the course of a career, because for example, we know that there are pilots who are not interested in necessarily the leadership aspect of what their career field entails, offers, or even requires that they are more focused and more interested in just being a technician. They want to be in the jet. They want to be really effective and capable in delivering air power, which is fantastic and good for them. And we need people like that. But at the same time, there is a, a requirement for pilots and any other career field to also take on a leadership role, move up the ranks and be responsible for ever growing larger and larger areas of responsibility. Yeah. And it's a tough thing to balance and it changes. It changes over time. Uh, one thing he, he mentioned, and I totally agree as a young CGO, which I know, you know, we think a lot of our audience is in that category. You absolutely do need to be focused on being competent at your job. That is hundred percent what you need to be doing right then. And without ignoring the responsibilities of developing as a leader. So, but it's tough. It's going to be a constant balancing act. And I thought he did a good job of articulating that and kind of describing that it's tough. And it is. It is tough. Yep. 
And the last thing that I want to highlight from the interview with John is he is the epitome and the the paragon of being a quiet professional. I don't know if you picked up uh, in the interview. I was trying to get him to share some really cool war stories because if anybody in the Air Force is going to have cool war stories, it's going to be a special tactics officer. I mean, pilots are cool. They they do some cool things, but they're not on the ground. Well, and, and not, not only that, but when was the last time we actually, like, shot at other airplanes it's been a little while you know like those folks are retired now and it, it's just we are so good as a service at what we do that no one comes to the mat they don't want to roll with us as as it should be and i'm happy about that but given the last 20 years of conflict it's going to be the special tactics folks and they're people that are directly engaged with the enemy so yeah you're right and yes right the quiet professional he wasn't even biting. And it is an honor and a privilege to be associated with people like that. And I genuinely mean that. And I want to thank John for taking that, that stance. I mean, it would have been great. It would have made for good pod for him to share a couple of stories from, you know, to, to more fully describe some of those dynamic situations that he found himself in. But at the same time, I'm so glad that he didn't. Because it then gives us the ability to have this, this discussion right now about quiet professionalism and not standing up on the hill, waving your flag, saying, hey, look at me, look at me, and all these amazing, wonderful things that, that we've done. So thank you, John, for being that quiet professional. Thank you for being competent. Thank you for bringing air power on the ground to to the places where it needs to be effectively and uh, taking care of the mission in that way. Awesome. Yep. Really enjoyed it. And uh, if you enjoyed it, give us some feedback. Let us know. Give us a rating in iTunes. Give us a thumbs up on Facebook and Instagram. Let us know how you're, how you're receiving this information. If it's enjoyable for you, always trying to get better as we deliver content to our audience. And with that, that concludes another episode of Commission Ed. Thank you for listening to Commission Ed, the Air Force Officer Podcast. The views and opinions of the authors expressed herein do not state or reflect those of the government and shall not be used for advertising or product endorsement purposes. Mention of any specific commercial products, process, or service by trade name, trademark, manufacturer, or otherwise does not necessarily constitute nor imply its endorsement, recommendation, or favoring by the U.S. government. The mention of companies by name is solely for the purpose of discussion and should not be implied as endorsement.